0: Oh, Holy that was, fuck, that yeah. was nice.
1: You know what's annoying? I like, I'm what, three days away from flying out, and two days ago, I started feeling sick as well.
0: <laughs> oh. I was like, they're not letting you pass across the border, buddy. Uh uh-uh. uh.
1: They will, they will, don't worry. I am, like, for the last two days, I've been dosing myself with every fucking medication to get rid of all my symptoms. I'm like, I'm getting up. I'm not, it's not COVID, it's just a fucking head cold, but I'm like, nah, I'm not fucking new. Nope, they're gonna have to quarantine you with the rest of the sheep. Nah, nah, I'm gonna be good, I'm gonna be good. But yeah, I'm like, on few medications to cleared sinuses and all that shit. So I was like, nope. If I don't think I'm going to get sick, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to get sick. No, you're going to get sick. I'm not going to get you sick. You are
0: going to nope. get very sick.
1: Nope. I'm going to be fine. Nope. But you're, you're going to get, get sick like four days into the you're trip. You're
0: going to spend your entire time in Italy. Uh, yeah.
1: I already did that when I was like traveling. I was in Wales. And you, you know when you're like, I was on a train. But there was all these kids coughing and stuff like that. You know, when you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, I am so going to get sick ass. right now. It's like, you, you, you know, when you just know you're going to get sick. I was like, yeah, this is a.
0: You just get that vibe. You're going to be sick.
1: Yeah. and It was like three days later. I had a fucking head cold for like five days. and I was just laid up at my family, at extended family's house. I was like, I really want to like move on with my holiday, but I can't fucking do anything right now. Nope. It you're sucked. dead. sucked.
0: You, you, you will die a soul and painful death in Italy.
1: Nah, I'm just going to keep myself laced up with enough booze that I don't notice. It seems reasonable. I mean, I'm going to wine country in Italy, so, you know, vineyards are like a five-minute walk away from my uh, accommodation. And then you're going to be going to grappa country, and nothing good comes from drinking that. Well, after Italy, I go to Glasgow, and then, you know, it doesn't matter what you drink, you just drink.
2: Yeah, because there's nothing better to do.
1: No, you. After. you get into fights, and... I mean, That's I'm true. going.
0: To, I guess so.
1: I'm going to Glasgow, but I'm going to a town called Dumbarton in Glasgow, which is oh, like. I'm the, so sorry. It's the Glasgow of Glasgow.
0: Oh, I am so so sorry, Callum.
1: No, I've been there before. I actually kind of liked it. I ah, so he's a masochist. Well, I mean, I got like last count was something like forty cousins over there. Jesus <laughs> Christ! Well, because it's my uh, over there, you is my Kiwis mom's. are
0: randy little buggers, aren't you?
1: No, no, it's my my mum's daddy's Scottish. He's from dumbarton and he has nine brothers and sisters and they all you know there's all nothing to do there so you just go to bed early and increase the population so yeah uh, last count when i was up there i met something like 25 out of a possible 40 cousins and was sitting there going sorry how are we related again Good yeah lord go take some pictures of the river while you're there Ah, uh, the old clyde
0: love it by the way callum can you hear me
2: yeah, you're okay, pretty cool. good. All right, boys. Let's light this up.
0: Let's, let, let's uh, do this thing. Let's do it. You are listening to the Micro Machines podcast. And this week, we are discussing Canadian military power and trucks with a friend of the podcast, Don. Hi. And, uh, shall we do some introductions for this skeleton crew?
1: I think so. So we'll go with me, Callum. Uh, in New Zealand, I'm not sick. I'm not going to get sick. He's
0: sick. I'm hey, fine. New Zealand government, <laughs> he's sick. He can't leave the island.
1: Have a nice vacation, <laughs> But anyway, so I am drinking a nice Canadian club and dry ginger ale, just the 4.8% one, but it's doing me a world of good. Because he's sick. Not sick. Don, introduce yourself. Hi, uh,
2: it's me, Don, occasional podcast interloper and uh, friend of the podcast. And tonight we have a a delicious Bellwoods Brewery uh, Pilsner on tap, also 4.8% by a strange coincidence. And uh, no, you are going to get sick. And you've got me, Dennis.
0: Just beside Don, I am currently drinking a non-alcoholic cold coffee from this morning. It's, uh, Jesus it's, it's funky I enough. Can't. I think I'm going to get... It's going to do something to my mental state by the end of this episode. I can't believe we'll you. Happens. It's going
1: to do something to your gastrointestinal state is what it's going to no, do. No
0: no, 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 That's the uh, raw ramen I ate today.
1: <laughs> You're going to go on the world's, like, best, like, weight loss regime suit. See,
0: they say your body is a temple. And mine is like this church that's been decaying for the past thousand years.
2: is <laughs> Notre dame mid <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, done, we are gathered here today to discuss the how are we discussing today so what i I, I might
2: I might preach from the altar of the c m p truck so, you'd be happy to know I have a script in everything, and I guarantee you that I'm barely going to adhere to He's, it. You, I,
0: I give you one slide before you deviate from it.
2: Well, we'll see. So, my, my <laughs> slide notes for this one, for example, say things as useful as intro, blather on humorously, which, you know, we failed right there. So, um, yeah, we're going to be talking about the Canadian military pattern truck, which was uh, the sort of stalwart of the Commonwealth forces uh, during the Second World War, sort of the equivalent to the you old Yankee doodle deuce and a half, but with about 8 billion more variations and substantially less uh, ergonomics uh, incorporated into its design, as you will
1: soon see. Are these the trucks that like, you can only drive them if you have no legs? (laughs) Yes. So that's the nod to the uh, subtitle
2: there. Um, I didn't post anything up here for fear of being sued into the Stone Age, but the Chieftain, if you toddle on over to his YouTube channel has a video of him trying to uh, fold himself into the cab of one of these, and it is well worth the three and a half minutes it takes. He didn't really make it, did he? Well, he, he, can no, get he in, did not. But no. No, it's the first vehicle he's admitted that he cannot operate, and that includes things like the TKS and that um, the Ferret and that little tiny French Chignette. And the, M- and the M22 thing. as
1: well. And the Locust, yep. Yep. So there you yeah, go. So Just... if, he, if he can't drive it, I, did, I can't because... Nope. Oshawa yeah. defeated the Chieftain. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love my town. <laughs> Come back any time, tall Irish boy. We'll show you what's what.
2: All right. Sw- switch, through there, Slide Master. Ew. So, in, in, the, in the before times, um, you'll be shocked to learn that... Uh, canadian military procurement hasn't changed uh since the first world war uh and we Was went it to war in the... yeah well precisely uh and we went to war in the first world war with basically a scatter shot of whatever privately owned vehicles could be pressed into service commercial trucks like that kelly springfield that we bought off the americans that were completely and utterly useless uh some model t's and then a whole pile of stuff that we uh Beg, borrowed, and stole from the Brits and the French. Um, and I love our country. Th- moving forward from that, we didn't learn any lessons, and we kept things like that Phaeton Roadster in use. It, that's not a staff car. That's not an officer's car. That's meant to be driven around the field like a Jeep.
0: <laughs> oh, Jesus. No, no, no. no, no that's, that's the, that's uh, the that's utility the, uh,
2: car. <laughs>
0: that's the ATGM carrier. This, that photo was taken in 1957.
2: <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Um but yeah even like until the uh sort of break uh of uh, the second world war there was absolutely no standardization in vehicles uh within the canadian military um mostly due to the fact that it like everyone else post world war 1 there was absolutely zero um appetite for spending money on the things that we all swore up and down we were never going to use again and uh, a sort of Lack of uh, domestic production capacity. So there was really nothing to buy that we wouldn't have had to buy from the Americans. And in the height of the Depression, we didn't have money to buy things from the Americans.
1: And the Americans didn't have anything to sell.
2: Well, precisely.
1: But moving on. i got to say that Kelly Springfield would make an awesome model.
2: Oh, and like it's not even the most egregious of some of the sort of early you know 1910s 1920s trucks that are are out there you look at some of these things and it's a miracle that they managed to operate on roads how they were being used at the front uh i i I don't know it's baffling um but then uh 1935 comes along and mother britain uh starts sending out feelers sort of recognizing that um the Germans are getting feisty again and might need a a good slapping, um, that we might need some enhanced production capacity for this newfangled mechanization fad that everybody was getting into. And so feelers went out in 1935 to sort of standardize amongst the Empire and the Commonwealth on a uh, sort of semi-modular universal truck-type chassis. Um, The initial... um, Discussions didn't really progress very quickly or very far. There was a lot of, um, you know, good intentions, but not a lot of impetus to make progress forward uh, until 1937, when things started getting real in Europe. And uh, Ford took a um, stab at producing, you know, what would eventually lead to be the, the prototype CMP. So what we can see here is a Morris Commercial 800 weight truck, which works out to quarter ton, um, which was something the Brits were producing, you know, in a semi-mass produced state. And that was sort of the pilot design that was called for. So the thing needed to be right-hand drive, cab forward as much as possible to sort of save on shipping costs, uh, very short wheelbase, again, so that they could be crammed into the holds of ships. And Ford took a look at the specs and cranked out the quarter ton C eight C M P which you can see down in the uh um bottom right hand side there. And then following that we moved on to a three quarter ton or fifteen hundred weight, which you can see in the top right there.
1: Oh yeah, so you can kinda of start seeing the sort of evolution towards what ends up being a very cool truck system. Yeah. They're not like there's
2: there's not a lot of um uh, resemblance between the morris and the the ford but the specs were the same right so the wheelbase was the same the uh, drivetrain was the same the power plant we use north american engines but the um the horsepower ratings and that sort of stuff were were all what was spec'd out
0: so they're going to slap a wide body kill on that's what you're telling me what was that it's, never mind car, <laughs> car, car humor car humor
2: you're talking <laughs> to two non-car people
1: yeah. that uh, The Morris, though, I love their uh, little uh, attempt at camouflage, Bush. Is it an attempt at camouflage, or did they just drive through something? I, <laughs> I think it's that one. <laughs> 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 it looks like they've had a bush and went, oh, well. Camouflage now.
2: <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. What are we going to do?
1: Again, another model kit I'd love to have is that one. Say that again? Well, I said they would make a great model kit, be the uh, Morris C- CSA. Is there one? of it, or? I think there is, actually. Ooh. I need to find it. I don't yeah. know that it's the open cab, though. I have a feeling something like, someone like IGB, or is it IGB, or BG? IBG? Yes. I think it's that one. I think they they might do one. I think. Quickly, to Scalemates. Yeah. So the top, right, have they got a Vicar, is that a Vicar's setup? <sighs>
0: might Looks like a be setup. a
1: Colt Vickers,
2: but I a, don't know. A Colt There was Vickers? nothing captured. Yeah, Colt attempted to produce Vickers guns during the First World War. It didn't go well. Um, so it may be an actual OG Vickers, or it may be the Colt, because I do believe we ended up with a few of them
1: but I don't know because there was nothing captioned in the photo.
0: All I'm seeing is that they've got those cool safari helmets. Those are awesome.
1: Yeah. So really, during the First World War, the the Canadians were kind of boned when it came to equipment because they had Colt Vickers machine guns and Ross rifles. Yes. Your procurement guys hated you. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yes. we We could do an entire... I mean, it's already been done to death, but we could do an entire podcast on the Ross rifle and the absolute bananas level of corruption and collusion that was involved in that thing, making it into service in the first place.
0: The, the Canadian supply and procurement situation makes the United States Marine Corps look like they're playing on easy mode.
2: Yeah. Cause th- there was exactly two people that thought the Ross rifle was actually going to be
1: functional in the field. Um, and yet we still ended up with them. And those are two people that never went into the field. I bet. Yeah well yeah it was Charles Ross and then um our minister of militia yeah cuz like you know like this is going against like the say the marine corps who in Guadalcanal landed with M1903s thinking that they were better than the M1 Garand at the time so the only their only uh it was a, it was a it was an anti-aircraft battery where the only units issued with M1 Garand Garands Yep. It's like they were most the most well armed fucking unit out of the Marine Corps at the time, because they thought the bolt action was better for some reason. Nice planning. Because crayons.
2: Alright, moving on. So the players in all of this. First up, GM Canada. Founded in nineteen oh seven as McLaughlin Motors. Um originally sort of made custom coaches, fancy cars, but they were built on Buick chassis and their home plant was in Oshawa.
0: Kind of Let's go. <laughs> who
2: fucking put Crackhead Alley represent in there? God damn it, I should have. So,
0: so interesting tidbit of history. Uh, so the gentleman who started McLaughlin Motors, fact, it was, uh, he actually has a mansion, which is located right beside the hospital in downtown Oshawa, and it's where a lot of movies are actually filmed, like X-Men. So, oh, yeah, that's right. that's,
2: that's um, um the, the school in X-Men, right?
0: Yes. My physics professor was actually in that movie when they were shooting it in Oshawa.
2: Is your physics professor Patrick Stewart? No. Oh.
0: He had a minor role, but yes, uh, Oshawa trivia. That's about the only cool thing about this place other than the CMP production.
2: Well, there you go. Um... So yeah, three plants, uh, Oshawa, Windsor, and Regina. Uh, Oshawa produced um, all the wheeled vehicles that GM cranked out. Windsor and Regina were responsible for anti-aircraft guns and some naval armament and stuff like that. Um, as you can see, cranked out over 300,000 vehicles during the war, including CMPs and variants, which is a pretty impressive number considering it was a single factory in a, you know, essentially a, slightly oversized farm town um, with no real history of major industrial production up until uh, the war period. And then if we go to 4A here, Ford! 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 Found in 1904 as Walkerville Wagon Works to avoid tariff costs, because there was some shenanigans with the and Americans about having to pay extra licensing fees for a branded Ford versus something that was a Ford and just had a different name plant on it. Uh, plant located in Walkerville, which is now part of Windsor, Ontario. Scenic, beautiful, wonderful Windsor. Uh, and again, cranked at another 330 some odd thousand vehicles, including 200,000 CMPs. So the, the big fun fact in all of this is that Anybody who knows cars nowadays recognizes that GM and Ford don't play together in the sandbox, right? These are are huge rivals. When the sort of clouds of war really started brewing up over Europe, it was actually Ford and GM that came together voluntarily and said, no, no, we'll, we'll do this sort of together and standardized on one production model between the two companies, which I think is probably the first time At least, maybe, well, not ever, because I guess there's crossovers nowadays between companies, but uh, one of the rare few times where two major rival auto manufacturers have come together and gone, no, no, we'll build the same thing at the
1: same time. And then they probably realized just how much more money they get by doing that and just went, this is a, we'll just keep it this way.
2: Yeah. (laughs) All right, next, Dennis. Dennis. Uh so like I said, built by Ford and GM. Over 500,000 uh, CMP chassis built between 1940 and 1945. Um, not uh, a huge amount when you consider the you know total volume of vehicles that were produced by by other nations. But considering it was being built in a uh, again a, a small population base with limited history of industrial production, it's still a very impressive number. 90 different chassis and body configurations jesus
1: but everything's standardized right so you You could take so you could take parts out of one chassis and put it in one a different one that's a totally different vehicle and they'll still work within with a few with a few
2: exceptions yeah there was a, a few differences in wheelbases so obviously you're um box bodies built for long wheelbase trucks won't fit on the the short wheelbase trucks and so forth but um you could swap the body out from a you know general service and drop a water tank on it or an office body or pull the um cab off of uh and actually the cabs were standardized so you could pull the cab off a scrapped uh three-quarter tonner and throw it onto a three-tonner that needed a replacement and away you went and it was actually hmm. funny, so uh, I've been building um, a CMP water tanker, God help me, um, and through a cock-up of instructions, didn't actually have the instructions for the water tank at the time, but what I did have laying around were parts for the general service box body, but I needed bows to make a roof. I had bows left over from a Fordson WOT6 truck, which was not part of the CMP line, but was built to the same specifications and standards that these were laid out to. And even in 135th scale, across two different manufacturers, the bows from that one kit fit the other kit perfectly. Like That's the level of standardization that the Brits were, were shooting for here, is that they could have parts commonality across a whole range of places to ease you know, logistics and maintenance
1: and it did actually work. Damn, that's pretty impressive. Well there's the reason
0: why they won the war. <laughs>
1: um
2: so yeah, uh, three quarter ton through three ton capacity, four by two, four, and six by six drivetrains, and then there were armored unarmored variants. We'll get in we'll get into some of the details now. So the um these are in British measurements, but I've tried to translate them where I can. So the 800 weight, which works out to a, a quarter ton in normal language, uh, general service was the first uh, sort of standardized production variant to come off the uh, the assembly lines. Had a 101-inch wheelbase, 4 by 2 drive, which everybody very quickly found out didn't actually work that well on a military vehicle, um, 85 to 90 horsepower engine, depending on if it was GM or Ford, because they used two different engines, and... Uh, like I said, obsolete by the start of the war, but they kept him around for doing, you know, good road logistics work, errands, and minor training exercises so it's kind of like in Canada and UK. Just
0: a general ute, done.
2: Just a general U, just a pickup. I'm sorry, not quarter ton, half ton, half ton pickup truck. So this is your, you know, your Ford, your Ford Ranger of, uh, of the start of the war. And then we move on to the three-quarter ton, which would become the sort of most mass-produced uh, chassis and, and wheelbase combination that there was. Uh, still the same 101-inch wheelbase, and still the same 85 to 90-horsepower engine. Uh, and these came primarily as general service, so like your pickup truck. uh there's fitted for wireless wreckers. They had... Um, radar trucks, water bowsers, and uh, machine shops, and battery charging. So they had a few of small sort of office bodies on the back for doing field maintenance work. There was 40,000 or so of this variant produced.
1: Seems strange, like the number produced, and you, you try and find one nowadays, and it's like near impossible.
0: Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean There are a few out here in Oshawa, I think.
2: there There are a few, there's actually, we'll get to it towards the end, there's a huge collector's market in australia of these things and specifically
0: New localized only to australia like nowhere else but australia well because
2: yeah. the aussies end up sort of semi-domestically producing these things so we we would send over chassis and they were making their own um cabs and what have you for them and i think because they never really went overseas with the australian army they stuck around longer Whereas we shipped everything to Europe, and then nobody wanted to pay to ship it back,
0: so we just left it most of them, I and What I guess the yeah, other we ones? left it there,
2: and then nobody in Europe, you know, for the most part, kept it going. They just gave them to farmers, and they drove them until they fell apart.
0: The Dutch are like, "What the hell are we supposed to do with all these trucks?"
2: Uh, yeah, and we'll we'll get into some of the post-war uses because there were some some interesting uh,
1: interesting examples. Yeah, I know that we've got. Uh, I've sent you photos of one that's Canadian built that uh, was brought back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I've sent you photos of that one. Eh? It was nice. Yeah. It was a very nice restoration. That one was good. Yeah, they've done good jobs. Um, so the 3000 weight, so your ton and a half, which would
2: be your um, sort of mid-sized cargo version. Uh, this is the longer wheelbase, 134 inches. These were all four-wheel drive and the same, 85 to 90 horsepower engine. If you've been paying attention, truck sizes and our weights are going up, but our horsepower isn't. So I bet you can start putting those together.
0: So, question for you, Don. I don't know if you would be aware of this or not, but as these uh, new trucks were getting made, you know, throughout the war, were there any reports of them being, you know, were people complaining about them being less powerful or like underpowered?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Let me guess. They started getting slower and less capable and. Yep. So um, one of the first
2: theaters that these were sort of deployed to en masse operationally was Italy.
0: Oh, and great. Yeah. Well anybody knows anything about Italy,
2: it's, <laughs> it's a lot of vertical and not a lot of horizontal. But these things were apparently mountain goats. They just like Jack for, Yeah, they will climb for
1: days. They just do it at a walking pace. So, so it's like the so it's like a wheeled Churchill. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean at least it got there eventually.
2: Yeah, like the the on the theoretical on road top speed, I think is I had it written down here somewhere. I think it's fifty ish miles an hour.
0: That's not bad, actually. Right?
2: But but that's the like on paper, on a smooth road. You're Best only hitting that driving
0: down the other side. Best of case one.
2: scenario, not filled to the tits with, you know, dudes. Round, rounds of 25-pounder and and dudes. So. And a 25-pounder. And towing <laughs> the 20... Actually, these didn't get, really get used as prime movers, because they weren't very effective at it, but um, we, will, we will get to the one variant that was, though. Uh, next. Uh, And now we gave up on 100 weights for some reason and we just switched to the 3 ton. So these came in in a sort of medium wheelbase or a a long wheelbase and 4x4, 4x6 or
1: 6x6 and the same 85 to 90 horsepower. Oh my god. God, When are they going to (laughs) learn? They didn't. They never did.
0: that, that, That poor engine is just at this point like on suicide watch.
1: Right.
2: Um and then the ton and a half and the 3-tonners were um, really the, your, your general service trucks again, so your heavy cargo as well as ambulances, command vehicles, heavy recovery vehicles. And the 3-tonners were actually converted into 20 and 40-millimeter uh, self-propelled AA. So they were outfitted with 20-millimeter um, Poulsen guns or uh, single
1: 40-millimeter Bofors. And you couldn't find a photo of either, either of those?
0: No, he just we'll chose not to because he wanted to dangle that in front of us. We'll get there.
1: I actually
2: couldn't find a photo of the Bofors mount. Really? Yeah. I don't I don't that know. Seems if it,
0: because, like, you would think that would be a fairly common thing.
2: You would think so. I just don't know if it wasn't terribly widely produced or if I was just looking in the wrong place. I'm not sure. Hmm. Um, but we'll get there's a, a picture of the twenty millimeter coming up. Ooh. Uh and then there was the hup. So the heavy utility personnel. Uh Ooh, let me guess, t- let me guess utility. Same engine? Same engine. Same um, engine! But it's, the, the heavy doesn't really factor into the weight. It's on the same um, three-quarter ton chassis as the, the GS truck. But this was sort of the prototype Hummer. So they were fitted up as um, things like staff cars, radio cars, but with um, off-road capability. Right, so it's it's before the Hummer was turned into like the weird Operation Iraqi Freedom up armored sort they, of the,
0: like Generation Hell looking
2: thing. Yeah, this should have the Hummer. Is mean... this exactly this is this is what it was meant for?
1: You know, Dennis so I've was, just realized looking at that that photo there that that that's the MMP. Uh, that is the, it, well it is uh, that the guy
0: is the predecessor to the uh, MMP. Yeah.
1: That's that's
2: Dennis right Some
0: straight bars, too. Look at him. He's getting ready. <laughs> He's got the pose going on.
2: Uh next. And now my favorite. Ooh. Quad move. So here's here's your, here's your prime mover variant. Um this was originally again a sort of a riff on the, the Morris C eight quad. Um pull either a 17 pounder or a twenty-five pounder. They um they're cool. These are these are my favorites. What's uh, with the
0: sloping back, though? Like, what was the purpose of that?
2: I I don't I don't know. There was no nothing that I've ever been able to read as has explained the decision on the body type. Um, there were three or four different riffs on the shape of these things. Um, Ford and Chevrolet. This is one of the few where the. Um, the actual cab design varies a little bit, so the um, the angles on the uh, the two vary slightly. But there's no—I mean, I'm sure there's a reason for it, but I have no idea what it is. All I know is that it's what makes it look cool. If it was a big square box, I don't think it would be nearly as uh, as interesting a vehicle.
0: Although you, you you would imagine it would be still a bit more useful because you could just throw shit in the back.
2: Yeah, a lot of these had. Um, racks home brewed onto the back there was also space on the roof for a um a spare tire
0: that's pretty cool
2: yeah the original um actually all for all of the cmp's the original sort of beginning third of the production run they all used run flat tires so there was no production or provision made for carrying spare tires on any of these and then as the war progressed they realized that run flat tires used a lot more rubber than a regular pneumatic tire would so the models further on had integration for spare tire carriers so you'll see it wedged often behind uh between the cabin whatever box boxer um, body is on the back of them but all of the original ones that didn't have provision for it they ended up having to find places to hang spare tires off of so one of these was well we'll just stick it on the roof because there's a big flat spot
0: I mean, yeah, makes sense.
2: And then um, these are one of the vehicles, again, primarily because they see so much sort of semi-independent field use. But one of the big complaints from the quad was that there was never enough storage for anything because these were going out with entire gun crews, you know, strapped inside of them. So you can see the in that second image, there's a uh, a empty 25-pounder ammunition box just jammed in the uh, bumper. It's probably not filled with ammunition. I guarantee you that's filled with rations or somebody's clothing or what have you. Um, they were also frequently just welded straight onto the bumpers. And uh, again, all sorts of homebrew cargo racks on the back to put all your personal kit in.
1: Now, don't uh, Tamiya have a kit for this one? Yes, it's, it's ancient. Um, I was going to say, practically... I've heard it's not that good.
0: It's seventies to me. It's
2: it's uh, it it fits well. It's lacking in detail. There's you know the most barest of bones-est, um interior, but it fits well and it looks good. It's actually the Ford um, chassis.
1: Well, I'm just saying, is know. like if you had this nowadays, you all those nice flat surfaces. Imagine just decking that out with the era.
0: Oh no! Yeah. Oh gosh!
2: <laughs> quickly, wear are their little shark dudes when we need them yeah <laughs>
0: Except, Yes. imagine like, a uh, imagine a truck covered in contact five
1: <laughs> like it with that would the contact five would detonate and take the truck with it. I was gonna say i don't I don't know what the thickness of the uh
2: the plating on these things is, but I'm not very sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's it's less than the width of my thumb.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Don, you know that uh, sheet metal that you can get at hobby stores?
2: No, but okay.
0: Yeah, you know, like, you know, know, it's the brass sheets you can get at Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. the stuff like you can roll your your own tubes or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's, uh, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me sort of thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're denying it to the enemy.
2: All right, what you got next? (laughs) (laughs) so i i couldn't find a really good shot of an interior that really highlighted just how comically stupid the arrangement of this thing is but this comes pretty close so that pan you see with the x in it is where the seat cushion should be the accelerator is the round pedal on the right the brake is the square thing directly under the steering column, and the clutch is the round thing off in the left-hand corner. And I'm guessing there's maybe eight inches of clearance between the curb of that fender and the side of the doghouse. And as, uh, as our good friend the Chieftain uh, said, he couldn't get both his feet in there at the same time. And I've I've read a couple of forums of people who have restored uh, CMPs and they all agree. They're like, no, if you're anything over about five foot six, you are not operating one of these vehicles. But I think um, part of the problem was, is that these were built to British specifications and the Brits were just physically smaller in stature than a lot of the people that ended up operating these things. All the Guinness
0: they drank as children stunted their growth.
2: Yeah, well, that, you know, Victorian uh, workhouses and uh, the Depression and just, you know, general slum life. Instead of all the, the big strapping farm boy myth of the uh, the average Canadian soldier. Um, these things were also known to be notoriously hot in the summer because as you can see, uh, you're sitting basically on top of the cylinder block. Because of oh, the cavalry design. Yeah. Yeah, great in the winter, um, but not so much uh, driving through mountain passes in Italy in August.
1: Or North Africa or something
2: like or that. Or North Africa or all the other places that these serve. These yeah, these things must have just been absolutely horrendous in the desert, but then again, so was everything else.
1: Yeah, any, anything with moving parts in a desert is just no. And at
2: least these. Um, there's photos where, you know, guys
1: have just cut the entire
2: cabs off for airflow, which, you know, you can't do in a Crusader or uh, a Matilda. So, yeah. Yeah, you you know what you'd rather be in. So, oh, yeah, here's where my script goes off the rails because it's out of order. So, modified conventional patterns. So, this is the sort of precursor to the CMP. What these were was kind of an emergency rush order right at the beginning of the war, where they just took straight standard commercial truck chassis and made a couple of token um, considerations to military use. So like tires, brakes, bumpers, stuff like that, uh, and shipped them overseas. And the most famous example being, of course, Long Range Desert Group.
0: So these are basically technicals.
2: These are these are technical yeah. in every sense of the word. This this is the the nineteen thirties Hilux. They're they're Chevy WB thirty pickup trucks, and they've just been you know
1: modified for desert use. Completely modified for desert use. You know, want to know a fun fact about the uh, LRDG? Most of them were Kiwis. Most of them were Kiwi surveyors. Huh. Oh, well, well, they wanted well they wanted Kiwis because. Back then, we well, were known for being good for harsh conditions. We just kind of put up with it. And surveyors, because you can't, like, compasses and stuff in deserts don't work that don't, well. Don't work that well. So you need, you know, it's like, yeah. well, why don't we get a guy who already knows where he is at all times? And it should be impossible for a surveyor yeah. to get himself the, lost.
0: The Kiwi surveyor knows where he is at all times. This is because yes. he knows where he is not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and right now he's in the desert, so he's not. So he knows he's not back at home where where it's nice and cool. So what's your excuse, Callum? Uh, there's not a war going on. <laughs> Says you.
0: Correction: There's not a war going on. Where being a surveyor in the desert is a particularly useful skill.
2: <laughs> yeah. Sure, we could find somewhere. I'm sure, the Ukrainians would like to know where they are.
1: <laughs>
0: Callum is too- going to challenge nah, the, the U- Russians U- to a duel in the desert.
1: Ukrainians <laughs> know where they are. The Russians are having a bit of difficulty. That's true. <laughs> My favorite
0: thing about the Russians is that they're still that they're using uh, radio guns in 2023. So proud of them. Good job. Wait, really? Yes, they're using the Obo system. Well, it's not actually well, OBO, not but Obo. It's the same. But... <laughs> it's a slightly more precise variant of Obo. They don't have uh, because their their the Glondas is not working properly right now. On
2: purpose or just because?
0: uh well let me think so their guided missile their, their pgms are using oboe right now and glonass like is not accurate enough so they're either using like civilian garments or radio guidance.
1: to be honest the, the civilian garment would probably be hooked onto the gpsu systems so it'll be much better
0: well that's the whole point yeah
1: like glonass sucks
0: it is terrible
2: oh that pleases me on a number of levels
0: now, that's why none of their PGMs are actually hitting the proper targets. Like, if you ever wondered why, that's why.
2: So the V1 tactic wasn't intentional, is what you're saying?
0: No, they, they, they were point like they were pointed at actual, like, real targets, but they just couldn't hit anything. Because, like, <laughs> the missile does not know where it is at all times. It knows where it is, but not where it isn't.
1: And, oh, and it doesn't all know right. where it's supposed to go. So it's like the, uh, what was that useless cruise missile the Americans had? The Tomahawk?
0: Oh, there's a... Now, you take that back. That's not fair. <laughs>
1: hey! Well, like, didn't the Americans send, like, 60 Tomahawks at a target once and only, like, a handful actually made it?
0: Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it.
1: All right, moving on. Yeah. Before we talk about
0: the That's why I'm skeptical about,
1: that, about, I'm skeptical Ooh, about like, Top Gun Maverick, when it's like, we're going to fire all these cruiser missiles and they all hit their target where they're supposed to. It's like, mm, nah, that's fantasy. Uh, I'm going to hold my tongue to... on this.
2: <laughs> all right all right uh and now we come to the um red-headed stepchild of the, the cmp universe the dodge because dodge made them too doge doge uh so the plan initially was for the same as the chevy and the ford that these were going to be 100 percent standardized and we're all going to crank at the same thing um but when it came down to it dodge put their hands up and went we could do that but that's going to take time for us to retool and all that sort of jazz or um, we will just keep cranking out these D60 truck bodies, and we can just slap standard CMP cargo modules on the back.
0: I mean, not a terrible idea.
2: No, and everyone. Ah, that's a great idea. So the majority of them were three-ton D60s, and just fitted as GS. So these were just being used as as cargo schleppers, um, but they were only built as four-by-two rear-wheel drive, just because that's what the the standard.
1: Truck uh, drivetrain already was. You know, I will out. say, of them. I will say one thing about the uh, Canadians—they did paint their trucks to look good.
0: That that yeah. is drippy as hell.
1: Yeah, that that's a nice camo scheme they've painted on it. Um, so it's not just the Canadians. That's actually
0: the that, British, that's a Commonwealth uh, thing, isn't that? Yeah,
2: that's a, yeah, it's the um dapple pattern, sometimes called maple
0: Mickey uh, Mouse. Uh,
2: Yeah, so the the Mickey Mouse variant was the, the initial one was a lot more like jagged, foliage looking lines, and then everyone realized that it was a lot easier if we just paint these big blobs, so the war office went, "Mm, all right, fine. So it was never officially adopted as a camouflage pattern, but everybody tolerated it.
0: I will say the uh, little Canadian maple leaf flash there, though, it does make it look pretty good.
1: Yes, it does pop. I mean, it's not uh, like a, a greatly painted one. Ooh, hello.
0: Ooh, it's getting some air there. Right? That suspension is going to bottom out so hard. Yeah.
1: You hit one <laughs> speed bump and that tire is going through the bed. <laughs> um, so there's, there's your 20mm uh, Callum. Ooh. That's actually quite a good looking mount. Right? Um, like it looks like so a 1980s we...
2: arcade. Yeah. Like something from uh, American Gladiator that should be shooting giant nerf balls at people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's your your mostly, but not probably entirely, comprehensive list of all of the various roles that these things were uh, were pressed into. So it's pretty pretty impressive what they managed to slap onto a, a you know a token handful of uh, chassis
1: variants. Jesus. So we got general service, troop carrier, SPAA, office body, wireless ambulance, dental, wrecker, tanker, prime mover, shop body. Field kitchen, field hygiene, so just toilet. Cable yeah. layer. <laughs> it goes and uh, uh, goes. laundry laundry as well.
2: See it so shows you right. like
0: how much there is, you know, that's not actually directly combat related that goes into oper- staying in operation.
2: Oh, the the tail is always bigger than the teeth, right? The there's an actual ratio and it's escaping me right now of like how many rear echelon personnel it takes to sustain one fighting soldier. It's pretty close to like 10 to
1: 1. Yeah, something like that. It's like an enormous amount. So like the actual people that did, the number of people that did the fighting like only tallied up to like 5% or something like that. Something like ridiculously low.
2: No, it's nuts. And uh, thank you for reading that out, Callum, because I do forget that not everybody watches this on YouTube. Yes,
1: this does go on Spotify, so some things have right. to be announced. Nerds, nerds
0: <clears throat> on Spotify.
1: Or just yeah. come watch it on YouTube. Come on.
0: Oh, I like the cipher truck. That's they basically took like my ancestor, and just shoved them into a truck with like a 1940s desktop computer
2: <laughs> with like the glowing little RGB a, lights, it's a bunch of plug boards, and a typewriter.
0: Yeah, but they're like rgb plugboards. They've got the backlight on them.
1: Well the hell's a portee. Portee? Um, so you could take a Oh, put the gun
2: on. Yeah, put the gun on. So the idea is that you take a um like a two pounder anti-tank gun on its wheeled chassis, throw it in the back of the pickup truck, drive around, and you could either go bang bang mounted, or take the thing off and then in place it like you would a, a toad. Artillery
1: piece,
0: <laughs> <Poor D. laughs>
1: it's, it's a, a <laughs> bastardized version of the French word for carry. That I I I need to have a look. I need to see what that looks like. That looks cool.
0: The laboratory is cool as well. Like yeah, you just have a bunch of university students shoved into this CMP. Like they're not actually
1: <laughs> doing anything. No, but they, they're there just in
2: case. No, no. You want to take a guess at what the laboratory was probably doing? Guess. Guessing dudes for VD yeah oh, fair and and yeah. gas and other you know the hygiene no, no, the the like the that, uh, the dumpers most of, most of it was for most of it was for dealing with
1: drippy dick <laughs> yeah, something tells me that wouldn't be like a uh a service that you would brag about i was in the uh, i was in the military what'd you do uh looked at dicks all day Well, that's that's like, <laughs> you mean, hey, that that's that fun. <laughs> That's why medics are called pecker checkers. Uh, what if they're it in the Navy? It's just standard semen. That, uh,
2: yeah, that's just your, you know, day to day. You get to
0: see all this for free?
2: Right? So there were a couple of uh varyingly successful attempts at armoring the uh, the CMP chassis. Uh, we have the uh, Otter light reconnaissance car, the CT-15 armored truck and then the ct-15 ta armored ambulance uh these are all on the 1500 weight chassis again uh the otters we cranked out a thousand or so of them they're um if you can't see the picture go google it because they're pretty hilarious to look at
1: they're Uh, awesome i love the
2: basically like proof against rifle caliber ammunition they were armed with a bren and a boys anti-tank rifle the boys is in a semi-fixed mount firing out the front.
1: <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how uh, often that was used for just anti-infantry instead uh, of anti-tank. Honestly, I have
2: a feeling that they were basically just taken out. Yeah, because it like takes up so much bloody room and yeah. was obsolete, you know, before the first shots were fired uh anywhere. Um these were most often issued out to um engineer companies, so they could use them as an armored reconnaissance vehicle. And then the uh, CT armored truck, uh, again, the 1500 weight chassis, and these actually were very well received in the field, but they didn't enter sort of widespread service until a bit later in the war. It um, fit half a dozen guys in the back, and it was the sort of, you know, proto APC. It's not completely armored. You can, again, if you can see that picture, you can see there's just a sort of canvas tarpaulin covering the uh the troop area but the the driver's compartment on the sides were armored and uh it gave a little better uh better oomph uh off-road and could get you into some slightly hairier situations than you could in the back of a, a regular truck and then on the same platform was the um ct-15 ta armored ambulance it had a four liter uh capacity but by the time it was brought into development um It was deemed sort of surplus to requirement, so they actually built two prototypes,
1: one of which is uh, sitting in the Canadian War Museum right now. And let me guess, Armored Ambulance, you either have a model of one or you desperately want a model of one? Nope, I have it. It's the other
2: mirror model that I built that I almost catapulted across the room, Um, but I did manage to shoehorn it into something that looks vaguely square from a distance,
1: you must really love CMPs if you're willing to build two mirror models of them.
2: Well, the problem is, up until recently, MIR was the only people producing it. We can, we'll get into that with the kits at the end of the slides, but I just think they're neat. <laughs> 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 um, oh, the Poles also uh, got a whack of uh, Otters, uh, and they serve with the, uh, the Polish armored units, and apparently they quite liked them. And I know my title for this is a groaner, but it's, uh, look, deal with it. What is Um, that rhino, dude? What the hell? (laughs) That thing is awesome. Right? So again, more photos worth Googling if you're not watching this. Uh, So on top of being produced in North America, we would ship uh, either knockdown kits or just chassis to uh, the Australians and the Indians. And the Aussies built a couple of real wacko, uh armored car bodies on them that uh like every other Australian armored vehicle that was produced during the war sat at home in a garage uh and probably for the best um but there you have it so yeah we've got the uh Australian rover which I don't even know how to describe it it's uh it's, it's a thing it's a thing it's a bust. and then um I was remiss because I didn't actually write down what the turret that they slapped on the rhino is from. So well, that looks
0: like it might have be been maybe from a crus. The mantlet looks like it's from a crusader.
2: But I yeah I know, but I think it's domestically produced. Mm. Yeah,
1: well, let me let me. It's definitely Google got parts that. from a crusader though, or even a. Uh, it's almost Covenator.
0: time. Coven- is that Covenator? Well, no, there's they're not clean. enough rivets.
1: I'm I'm Google fooing this as we speak because I, I do can't I do like that uh, the half track that's literally it looks like a CMP and they've just put on I want to say the a universal, universal carrier, carrier yeah that's the back.
0: literally just the universal carrier
1: that's kind that's actually uh, kind of so wow. it is a it is a Crusader turret there you go Crusader that'll be a Crusader one Mark one then yeah with the uh, two pounder two pounder and a uh, uh yeah yeah you can you can kinda of, you can see just on the left of the gun barrel the uh big ass gun shield for the vickers there and what then, so uh, what what's the what's difference that? for the indian
2: pattern um they were home built by the
1: indian um railway works you can kind of so you we can we, see the differences eh? like the it looks like the front is just one big plate as opposed to say the others that are like been yeah, and they're they're riveted instead of welded, which you can see too if you're looking at the pic, the picture closely. Oh yeah, so one decent high explosive will turn the whole thing into a shrapnel bomb. I mean, yeah, but it's also an open top,
2: sort of semi armored car as it is, so it's not going to take much to turn it into splinters. <laughs> um, and then uh, the Aussies took a one off and tried to make one into a half track too, but it, um, like with most half track experiments ended up having the turning radius of a battleship and uh, it was just left alone. I mean it looks cool at least. Yeah it looks it looks neat. Um but yeah they they uh the wheelbase on them was too narrow and it just wouldn't steer worth a damn so oh and the one um having a moment the one thing I forgot to include in there unless I've remembered to include it, uh the Canadians also built a Fox uh armored car. Uh, on the same chassis, which kind of took the body of a Humber armored car and slapped it onto a, a CMP chassis. Uh, and here we have finder's keeper's time. So as I said earlier, a pile of these ended up in the western desert, and therefore a pile of them ended up in the hands of the bad guys. So the uh, Italians uh, took a few of them and strapped Breda uh, cannon onto the back of them, which looks like a be an absolute riot to uh, plug away with. And you can also see that the uh, the Chemins took a uh, 20mm flak and dropped it onto the bed. So we aren't the only creative ones. Oh, that's Uh, cool. Right? So retirement is not an option. So, like we said, uh, these. Even in
0: death, do they serve?
2: Right? Um, Lots of service post war. The Aussies turned a pile of them into brush fire trucks, like you can see. They. um, I'm assuming this is. I mean, they've stripped a lot of the guts off, but I bet you that's just a standard uh, water Bowser that was taken and repainted red, and they added a couple of,
1: you know, probably heavy your pumps to it. I hope they changed uh, the engine out to something a bit more substantial.
0: Nope, still I the uh, old 85 like, horsepower. Uh, I,
2: I, I, gar- I guarantee you it's <laughs>
1: not the same engine. It's I would there's a building on fire. You need to get to it. Yeah, we'll get there right? eventually. <laughs> uh
2: they also did duty as wreckers post war and probably served quite quite well. They were um, they were torquey little machines, so they've got a, a lot of grunt for uh, for what they are. And then probably my one of my favorite post war variants is the uh, the top corner there. The Israelis turned them into uh, what are known as sandwich vans, uh, and they're basically home-built uh, Israeli APCs that were used during the 1948 uh, independence war. I don't think there were a ton of them. I, in fact, if I recall correctly, um, a couple of these were like like everything else on the sly, just handed over intact by sympathetic uh, British units. Um, these also ended up serving post-war with Portugal, Malaysia, and with the French in Indochina, and uh, they floated around in the Canadian Army well into the 1960s. Sounds about right. <laughs>
1: yep. Yeah, um, we actually took some of them to uh, Korea with us as well. I swear you're going to you're we're, about to we... say Vietnam then, and I wouldn't have been surprised. No, no, no. But we were we were still fighting them when. Fighting with them in Korea,
2: and there are there is still a, a big collector market. These are really popular uh, trucks. They're you know they're novel. They're easy to maintain. Parts availability probably isn't what it used to be, but uh, most of the stuff you can fix with a, a roll of tape and a hammer. Next, ooh, All right, models. You're, you're, here's the wide variety of uh, model options. And
0: none there of them you. were built, be- built after 1990.
2: <laughs> uh, none of them on this page. The next page we get to some more modern stuff. Um, so yeah, the the OG is the Peerless Max uh, CMP truck, and it has been rebadged and reboxed hundreds of times because the Italerie one is the same truck and the same molds. Uh, the Tamiya, <coughs> pardon me, the Tamiya, as we've, uh, we've already mentioned, ResiCast at some point cranked out an entire resin, uh, shop truck, which I would love to be able to lay my hands on, but I don't know that I have enough sanity left to even attempt something of that, uh, of that detail made entirely of resin. Um, the Haganah sandwich van there, I think is made by Azimut. I don't have any idea what the availability of that is like but in theory it does exist out there and then if you go to the next one. one oh models. look your favorite
0: oh nice
2: <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you not familiar with mirror models they are ostensibly um an irish firm or at least they had their headquarters in ireland at one point um but i'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that my recent dealings with them that is no longer the case these are the absolute textbook example of short-run, garage-built masterpieces of uh, of engineering. Um, I should have posted a picture of it here, but the instruction sheets on the first kit that I got of the armored ambulance were inkjet printed on eight and a half by eleven paper, and the in- actual images are just pictures of this dude's workbench with arrows um, done in probably Microsoft Word, pointing at various parts and identifying the alleged part numbers. But the builds just come in like sections. So all of a sudden there's like 36 parts that have been added in the next picture, half of which probably haven't been labeled. It's, um, It's an adventure. Linear building is not an option with those kits be prepared for suffering. That's all, I'm, that's all I can say. Um, but on the good news front, IBG has started cranking out uh, a whole pile of them in the last couple of years in 35th and 72nd. And um, the C-60 ambulance is uh, set to hit shelves soonish. I think.
0: I like the uh, boxer for that C-38 general service.
2: Um, the IBG one?
0: one on the uh, right.
2: Wait, there's there's two of them, Dennis. Yeah, the, are you talking the thirty fifth or the seventy second? Seventy two, the
0: seventy two scale one.
2: Oh, with the the airborne guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. IBG does some good box art. They're they're bringing it back. I like it.
1: Yeah, I love. I like the otter. I really want the otter.
2: <clears throat> it was, it was less of a bastard to build than the mirror models ones are. There were hang ups because you see the slats in the, the front grille, yeah, those are all individual,
1: so nice. getting them
2: to getting them to sit where they need to sit um, for long enough for your your glue to harden is a challenge, but it is doable, and it builds up into a really cool kit. The inside's actually really well detailed um it comes with a Actually, really nice number nineteen set. It comes with a handful of end fields that are, fit into racks on the walls. It's um, it's quite a nice kit.
1: This is this is the one where you did really good high detail on the radio, and then a certain someone on the server wondered why you no. went through so much detail. Was there something else? No, no, no. That was the, that was a universal carrier. Oh yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. No, the, the radio on this is, the shame with this one is, although you can at least open the doors, um, it comes with a beautiful interior, but even if you open every single port, um, you still really got to get your eyeball into it to actually see anything.
1: That's a pity. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing about armored vehicles is you're not supposed to be able to see into them too much. So it's well, like right. a right. lot of interior, like full interior kits are like, well. You don't see it unless you make it so you can pull it apart, but at that point it's sort of like, you know. Right. Yeah.
2: Um, that's all I got, boys.
1: That's the CMP.
2: Uh, go learn something. So here's here's my references. Um, if you can get it, I highly recommend um, Drive to Victory. Uh, it was uh, supposed to be a two-volume set, but unfortunately, uh, Clive Law passed away in... Uh, 2017, I believe. So, volume two will not be forthcoming, but it's uh, it's probably the most comprehensive guide to Canadian soft skin vehicles that exist.
0: Wow, oh, awesome! Well, thank you so much, Don.
2: Yeah. Oh, thank you guys. That was fun. That was very well presented. I, I
0: actually learned quite a lot.
1: Well, good. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. So, this break. Yep. Sounds Sold. good to me. This episode is brought to you by Autoloader Decals. Have you wandered round the shelves of your local hobby store and found that perfect model kit? Great tooling, fun to build and look, you remember seeing the subject. Perhaps it was a truck in the ubiquitous white UN paint scheme in the newspaper, or maybe it was a Sherman tank from your local armour unit. Everything is lining up for a fantastic new project, one with a more interesting connection to yourself, instead of a project derived from a history book. Then you open the kit. And there are none of those specific markings to be found. Water slide decals really put the final touch on a model, and unfortunately for the model maker, most kit manufacturers won't put too much time into designing decals that produce a finished model in anything but its most stereotypical form. That's why Auto Loader Decals exists. It is their sincere hope that you'll be able to find as much enjoyment using these special water slides as they have. Auto loader decal pro- products are primarily focused on Canadian subjects but in general if you're looking for markings that represent vehicles from lesser known parts of modern history, chances are you might just be able to find something worth trying. The waterslide decals are printed through an inkjet printer and sealed with a high quality varnish to ensure their strength on the model. Unlike most other water slides, these decals only need to be submerged for a few seconds and can be placed right onto the model. They are incredibly tough and won't yellow over time. For an added benefit, Decals intended for 1-35 to 35 scale are treated with a special varnish that gives a subtle, painted-on look that's both in scale and more realistic than other brands' offerings. All the products currently in production are listed in the store page. If you have a custom design you would like to order, the best way of making this order is to send an email through the contact page. Generally, the cost of a custom order will be 40-50% to 50% higher than any products that are in stock to account for labour. Also, as a special deal, if you have if you are ordering a set of custom decals and you mention the Micro Machines podcast, you'll receive a free exclusive MMP Pinju decal with your order. So, next time you're looking to build a specific or unique vehicle, look towards AutoLoader Decals. Just go to www.autoloadermodels.ca for all your waterslide decal needs.
0: And now, back to the show. Speaking of coping and seething, Shinju! you uh, yeah pinch you with the <laughs> press kit dodging bullets it's cheese orca
1: guess who's going to cope and seethe with the very first uh slide here yeah Model, <laughs> scale modeling news they're going to cope and see so mini art first up uh, releasing oh look it's another truck it is a us army g7 105 4x4 one and a half ton panel delivery truck uh this comes uh, with five decals uh photo itch yeah it's just a truck
0: it's a truck hmm. uh tacom is continuing with their 1 to 72 scale theme they are releasing a two-in-one kit uh they for the m60s they are releasing Ooh. the m60a1 with the era package that we saw on tanks during desert storm as well as an m60a3 which is i will say just uh Looking at the boxer here, it's pretty interesting because at least one of the decal schemes, this being for the m 683 is actually a U.S. Air Force scheme. Um, but yeah, they're going to feature the usual you know, TACOM stuff, photo watch, length length tracks, and so on and so forth. Um, and if it's, it, these are going to be anything like the uh, Chieftain in 72 scale that they uh, released earlier, it should be pretty decent. Definitely nice to see more modern stuff coming out in 72 scale.
1: Yeah, question. Why does the Air Force need a tank?
2: I, maybe oh. airfield defense, maybe? There is a story to that, and I can't remember what the hell it is.
1: Uh, Hold on a second. It also seems weird to me that the M60A1 gets an ERA package and is used in the desert, and yet the A3 looks so Vietnam-era, it's ridiculous. Even though, like, t- isn't the A3 supposed to be the updated A1?
0: The A3 is significantly better than the A1, and it's mostly yeah. going to be... It's, the, the main upgrade was in the fire control system because the A3 had a digitized fire to- control system that used thermal optics.
1: So then why did they send the A1 into the desert?
0: Uh, Marines.
1: Okay, that's enough. Yep, yeah. yep fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, they They get whatever everyone else doesn't want. That's fine. It looks horrendous with ERA blocks on it as well. Like, I do not like M60s with ERA. It does have nope, link was... and length tracks, though. An, an
2: M60 with ERA is what drove me to start building HIDF vehicles because I could not fucking <laughs> be bothered That's true, to. Yeah. <laughs> the, the ancient uh, Academy one.
1: Yeah. Okay, up next from U-Star in 148, they have a T-90A. Uh, So this is uh, link length tracks, Uh, hatches can be opened or closed, two markings, Um, and I do believe you should be able to uh, make a diorama of this with the hull and chassis in one area and the turret somewhere else. (laughs) If you want. (laughs) (laughs) I do believe they've they've probably made it so they can be easily separated from one, one, one another, you know? I mean that's just good marketing yeah i don't even don't I've never even seen who Ustar. who's u star no idea i mean this is number this is kit number seven, so I haven't seen any well, of the other releases. Is it kit number seven though who knows,
2: or did they just start their serial numbers at six
0: Ustar star made a forty eight scale tiger one
1: yeah, boring, yeah. Yeah. Two very boring kits then. Next. So, from Special Hobby, we have uh, three notable, well, there's uh, two noticeable and one that I just want to include, because one would have made Garrison wet, but he's not here. So, up first, in the bottom left, we have a T2 Buckeye in 1 to 32 scale, a very, very ugly-looking jet trainer for the Americans. Like that. Ew. Ew. It's not a pretty aircraft, is it? No, they are um, stout. Yeah. Looking. Uh... They look like they they like the bumblebee. Well, they they'll... look like they shouldn't fly.
2: Yeah. Aer- aerodynamics only through you know sheer willpower. It's like
0: the uh, Phantom, the Triumph of uh, raw power over aerodynamics. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh next uh, we have the one to forty eighth Grinnell baby. Two B, a German World War II glider. I, I like our uh, special hobby here. The Germans did have the swastika on the tail. They've uh, gone for a alternative uh, design just to, uh, you know, sanitize things. Yeah, yeah, but make 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 those other markets happy. Yeah, but it's a it's a little one seater glider from World War Two. That will be kind of a interesting subject to build. Uh, like looking at the sprues is about seven pieces to it yeah there's like fuck all pieces to it so that's like a weekend warrior kit and also i just wanted to include they in their resin uh 3d resin parts they have a 1 to 35 scale m1917 heavy machine gun so that is the og american heavy machine gun with the water cool jacket eventually turning into the m1919 they had the air cool jacket and was a lot lighter and whatnot but the m1917 still used throughout the war because as a defensive machine gun with the water cooling you could fire the thing for hours ever yeah as long as you wanted just keep going so yeah nicely detailed it's got the tripod it's got everything photo etch on it it would look pretty cool as a kit I, i wouldn't mind having it just for a diorama Agreed. Uh, oh, next from Roden, we wow. have a, oh in, God, thirty first scale in Opal Blitzbus Ludwig Aero. I've never seen a transport bus like this before. It's um, interesting. It that is. That's got to have like a radial engine or something like that. And just looking at that radiator, <laughs> for the listeners it's a, basically think of an old 1930s bus but then make the uh, the hood or a bonnet depending on the uh, hemisphere um, instead of making a, a square a rectangle or anything making a circle that's what well, a trying. cylinder or a cylinder yeah right it's it's a it
2: yeah yeah wow i i struggled to it looks like a coffee can on the front of this thing
1: yeah and it's got a little it has got a fin on the back like it's got a go, it's a make go faster fin on the back. But uh, so it's come comes with two schemes, just a sort of classic German grey and an Eastern Front uh, green, both from unknown units. That's really really helpful. But I don't know. I mean, is there something you would add to your stash? If it wasn't from Roden,
2: yes. But now, no.
1: Have you built Roden before?
2: Yes. No, no, no good. Oh, Roden. no like, good. Just atrocious, and uh, our friend Clint will um, back me up on that. Yeah.
1: Well, I, put it this way. Are they better than Academy? No. Oh, well, that's... No. These, these, Academy's these like,
0: not even that bad anymore.
2: No, these are, like, the epitome of... Muscle and fight and swearing and.
1: Well, that makes me no. sad because if we go to the next slide. From Rodan as well, in 32nd scale, they have a Sopwith 1.5 Strutter Comic Fighter. So the Comic Fighter was the Night Fighter version of the Sopwith Camel. These are interesting because uh, they are coming with uh, two variants. One that has the machine guns in the nose, as, you know, all Sopwith camels have. And the another variant was they had the twin vickers attached to the wing, the upper wing, facing up in the... Uh, what's it called again, Don? Well, oh, God, I'm going Where's Val when we need him? Uh, was Shrag music?
2: Shrag music. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. The,
1: the cannons that fire upwards. Well, these Sopwith camels have that. Machine guns that fire upward. And it, uh I mean, in that configuration, it just looks amazing, and uh, I, I want one. It's a thirty-second scale biplane, and I am fully into those right now. Even though I can't afford them or find them, although I did uh, no, I tell a lie. I have, I have recently got one. Uh, it was an Academy thirty-second scale uh, Newport Seventeen, which Don misinformed me on a fact.
2: No, the 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 Canadian Air and Space Museum misinformed
1: you. <laughs>
2: Well, I was just reading off their website.
1: Yeah, but yeah. So but that's, yeah, Roy,
2: Roy Brown did not fly a
1: Newport. I'm sorry. Yeah, but I do. I do have. I did make his uh, sub with Camel. So there's that.
2: Well, uh, then do do Billy do Billy Bishop's Newport because he did fly it.
1: But I was going to do like you know if I had both of them and like one guy flying both and it would have made a cool well, diorama. But uh, whatever.
2: Yeah, but then you can have two Canadian aces.
1: Uh, I've already got one. I didn't uh, even realize that fine. was a Canadian aircraft. I thought it was British, and now I've got three Canadian aircraft. Am I a Canadian? Well, new- they are.
2: they, well, they were British because they were Royal Flying Corps. They were just flown by Canadians. There was no Canadian Air Force.
1: Eh, close enough. Yeah, fine. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs>
1: but yeah. So I have. Yeah. I have
2: yep. información. Uh, so apparently, those Air Force patent tanks were used. In Doha, Qatar, in 1991, so I'm guessing Gulf One uh, for quote EOD purposes.
0: <laughs> I give you one guess <laughs> as to what that entails,
2: yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's all the information that I can find on them.
1: So, that's, but there uh, you that, go. That package looks suspicious. Let's blow it up, right? From exactly a, from a safe distance. From- from a safe distance
2: and everything I can find on the Aero bus, I think that is just a body kit. So that's just a regular Opal Blitz bus, but um some wackadoodle German uh auto designer um got decided slap got creative and decided to slap some uh ground uh, effect kits and um <laughs> no no No,
1: no doubt, some underbody lighting, and I'm I'm shocked it wasn't stanced. But there you go. It's probably got like some shag carpet in the back, and yeah, yep. But
2: yeah, it was a small truck body workshop of Ludwig Brothers in the German city of Essen had been installing bodies of their own design on the chassis base of trucks from leading German manufacturers for years. In the 1930s, they cooperated closely with Opel uh, and put that thing on it that's it this
1: is is just like a retro futuristic um body kit so there you go yeah you learn something new every day so then circling back to this uh rodent sop with camel so i wish it was done by someone else because it is very it is a an interesting subject because you will notice differences between a standard uh, Subworth Camel F one and a one and a half Strutter comic. They are like they are fundamentally the same aircraft. However, uh, I do believe the nose has been elongated just a little bit. Uh, also, the fuselage is a bit longer. Like you can see, like subtle differences within it. So, mm-hmm. as well as you know, different gun mountings and yeah, it looked like. At least it's a it's a cool subject. It's something different, so I applaud them on that. I wonder what the
2: price point on that's going to be.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'm gonna guess like at least one fifty. I don't know. So a thirty second scale biplane. So that, that I know. Literally run the gauntlet because like you get Wingnuts, nuts, which is you know a mortgage, and then yeah. you get academy, which I've picked them up for like twenty bucks each. So <laughs> crapshoot. Anyway, next up. So for those who like big scale aircraft and have probably built the one to thirty two scale Lancaster,
2: for those of you with a one thirty two scale hangar in your backyard,
1: yeah, uh, HK models are bringing out a B seventeen G Rose of York in one to thirty two scale. This has 499 parts, photo etched, nose and a nose weight included. Decals from Cartiograph for two aircraft included in this kit. So at least you know the decals are going to be pretty decent. The Rose of York kit does come with a 30 second scale model of a young Elizabeth II to go with it. Uh, just a little bit more. So the limited limited edition has the young Queen Elizabeth. Uh, young Queen. Uh run is limited to five hundred of them. So here's uh, a few interesting facts. Dimensions a B seventeen G in one to thirty two scale is approximately uh ninety eight point nine centimeters wide. Uh so that's almost a meter in width and it's about seventy point seven centimeters long. So one meter by yeah So it's like
2: three three feet by about two and a half for the
1: the freedom lovers amongst us. Yeah, but yeah. uh, Like, looking at my desk, I wouldn't even have the room for that at all. No. Why, who does? Uh, The same people with the disposable income to be able to buy this. Yeah. It does come with, uh, so, wall-mounted with... It says wall-mounted with mount... Not sure if that means like you can mount it on the wall as a or whatever. Uh, comes with seat belts, air intake, uh, reproducing etched parts, poseable flying surface surfaces, main landing gear is sl- uh, selective in flying state or landing, and yeah. Include if you have what? the uh, the special kit with the uh, Queen Elizabeth, then it has five hundred and fifty seven parts as opposed to four hundred and forty nine. Somehow, somehow Queen Elizabeth is made up of like. 60 parts, I guess. It's all in
0: the flowers.
2: Look at those flowers. Yeah. Jeez, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, individual, individual flowers, individual bloom.
1: <laughs> the wall
2: mount, the wall mount intrigues me.
1: That'll be interesting. You need, like, you definitely need to, like, tap it into some studs, but that's interesting. I, Yeah. Cool. That's, need to find. Yeah, that's not a, but yeah, so uh, anyone want to guess how much that this one would cost?
0: I'm guessing probably about a thousand bucks because that's what the Lancaster from Border goes for.
1: Yeah, this will have well, to be. Right. Like, I mean, it'll be an amazing kit to actually put together, like detail-wise, like interior and all of that. But, oof.
2: Yeah, I'll um, I'll stick to the inevitable YouTube video build that
1: somebody does of one of these. Yeah, I will live vicariously. Like the thing, I think the biggest I'll ever get with a B-17 is like 70 second scale just because I do not have room for anything bigger in my place. But interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, what do we have after this?
0: Uh,
1: no. take on Stug, else, F, it's and Stug. Great. Uh, yeah. 10, 10. Wonderful. 10.5 centimeter gun. Next.
0: Anyways, whips. Glad <laughs> not here. What have you been working on, gentlemen?
2: Both. Ooh, oh my stuff so um behold ye old mirror models cmp uh water truck
0: i will say don for such a crappy kit you're making it look pretty good
2: oh god i oh, love I that camo! <laughs> look at that so the, the camo is the best part so far this thing is about as um square as a bowl of oatmeal i i shudder to uh to gaze upon it but whatever it's done the build the build is done you can see i still got to do some paint up on a couple of photo etch parts but as long as i don't keep breaking the rear fenders and bumper off
1: (laughs) i think i've glued them both back on about a dozen times each are you using just Um, like liquid cement for that or just upped it to ca glue yet no it is ca because the
2: fenders are resin and the
1: um mounts are photo etch Oh, That's the problem yeah. is there's
2: no surface area for it to um adhere to and the bumper's photo etch as well. Oh
1: sorry that oh yeah. So this
2: this is this is the problem with apparently the newer mirror models kits have gotten further away from resin, but the biggest issue with the mirror model kits is large components of it are resin. So that whole water tank is resin. Those cargo box, resin. The fenders, resin, the wheels, resin. Um Parts of the um, like steering system, resin. But then you're mounting them to like fiddly little bits of styrene. Um, it's just it's it's nightmarish. Um, but anyway, it's almost done. Paint's on it. Um, I'm hoping it'll be done for the end of the group build. That is all. Uh, And then we have this, what turned out to be a a comically fun build. It's the Airfix 176, even though it says 172nd on the box, uh, LCM-3. And it was supposed to come with a Sherman, but somebody took the Sherman out, I assume built it, but left the decals and the tracks, and then the box ended up in the pre-owned section at uh, our favorite uh, local hobby distributor. Um, And then I bought it. And I was annoyed, but I built it anyway and it turned out really cool, even though it actually only notionally resembles what an actual LCM-3 looks like.
1: General shape sort of
2: deal. The fact that it is a landing craft that could fit a tank and has a bow ramp and that's about as close as it gets, but um, it's the first floaty thing I've built since I butchered the Arizona when I was like eight. So this was actually a, a nice break from my usual, uh, usual stuff. And I'll, I'll probably find a tank eventually to drop in it.
1: I like the, yeah uh, I like the paint on it. It looks good.
0: Yeah. I, I like that's it. a really nice color scheme.
2: You
1: can thank the Admiralty for that.
2: That's, <laughs> that's as, as close as I could get. The The color match isn't perfect, but that's the, like, as of, 1943, Royal Navy, all landing craft shall be painted thusly. And then we have, I mean, on paper, they're works in progress, but these have really been relegated to the shelf of doom. So we have the, uh, for the HIDF group build, we have my HIDF assault breacher, which is a, uh, uh, an M113 that I've shoehorned parts of the dozer blade from a centurion onto and then it's the base kit is the um, Australian fire support vehicle so it's got the uh, the 30mm turret on top
0: and the uh, and giant uh,
2: searchlight and the giant searchlight off the centurion and I've sort of built it up into a 113 A2 standard but not really um, oh god yeah I don't know it's, it's hilarious and I'm actually looking forward to getting back into that, I'm going to have to come up with some absolutely outrageous camo scheme to go along with it. And I'm trying to make a couple of figures for it. So we'll see how that goes. And then we have the, uh, AMX 10 RC from tiger,
1: which actually is a, a pretty good kit at the end of the day. Um, this is for the, uh, some... the in-house French group builders, the, in- the
2: in-house French group build, um, There's a few fit issues with it. There's almost no clearance between the base of the turret and the top of the hull, which is fine, except there's supposed to be a bunch of Pioneer tools that go there. So I'm going to have to find a way to fix the clearance height on that. Um, But it's almost done. I just got to do some details and um, come up with some camouflage nets and a couple of other bits and bobs.
0: Very nice. Love the canvas you painted on there.
2: Yeah, I was quite happy how that turned out.
0: Oh, okay. Uh, this is what Ooh. I've been working on. So this is the uh, my finished Kawasaki Ki-48, which was a Japanese uh, light bomber from the uh, Second World War. This is the Hasegawa kit, but basically it is the 1971 kit with the addition of a single brass rod. Um, this is built up as one of the aircraft that were used in the Kamikaze units that attacked the British Pacific Fleet in 1945. Uh, yeah. But a uh, very old kit sh- definitely showed its age, but it was actually really fun to build. And I uh, got to try out using the Edward uh, window masking set, which, you know, looking at the canopies on this was definitely needed. But, uh, yeah, I had lost oh, so you,
2: you did have a masking set for that thing. Good yeah, for you. it came yeah, in I'm... the uh,
0: box when I got it. I didn't even realize it had
1: it. Because it... I would have gone into spasms. Yeah. Oh God. This is the uh, this is the kit you got off your man crush, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> thank, <laughs> Lord, thank you so much. Uh, he hooked me up with a good deal. Fifteen bucks for this thing was not
2: bad. Um, but yeah, not that is a good deal. I'd pay fifteen bucks for that just for the the weird
1: factor alone. Yeah. Honestly, a, com- yeah. a Kamikaze aircraft. Yeah.
0: The Two engine kamikaze bomber. Yeah. Sign me up. Uh, this is what I'll, the other thing I've been working Whoa. on. So. As you have been getting into Warhammer. My buddy from Likey, got me the uh, Baneblade kit from Games Workshop. Uh, I don't know what the scale of this is. It's big. It's pretty much the biggest tank I've ever built. Um, the way it works is that you can actually build it into one. Like basically, you can build it into one of eight variants. But I decided to basically leave the upper hull removable. So I have two versions I've built. The first one is on the top. There is basically this amalgamation of two variants i've made so don you'd like this it's the armored personnel carrier variant plus it's got the uh like the uh the big planet gun Destroyer thing. cannon yeah they call i think it's the quake cannon and then the one on the side is the hellhammer, which is basically the urban engineering support variant um yeah with a sturmtiger cool. tiger gun as a, like a bow gun
1: so I think Warhammer is twenty eight millimeter.
0: Twenty eight millimeter sounds about right. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah.
1: yeah. So what? How does uh, that translate into our scale type? Like one to
0: like fifth doesn't.
1: Yeah. Something it's like some, that. It's something
0: weird like that. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, this kit is. I mean, it was mold line city, but then you look at stuff like on the back of the tank. You got that little Mechanicum shrine, which was all like really beautifully molded. Um having all those options was really cool. Yeah, it's, uh, the fit was pretty decent overall, all things considered. I am going to have to go at it at some point with some Mr. uh Dissolved Putty, just to fill in some seams and cracks, but, yeah, you know what, I wound it together well. One thing, though, I will say, the parts aren't labeled. Like, there are no part numbers.
2: Nope. 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 This is, this has been a, a thing with Warhammer for years. I remember building, um, some of their guard stuff probably christ i don't know 25 years ago now yeah and it, it was like the transition phase between everything is white, made of white metal and then there's sort of second or third generation plastic tanks I mean, and honestly i like, was baffled at the time it was like i yeah i mean there's no instructions
0: i mean really for myself i found it wasn't an issue because with this you get about i think it's like 15 sprues in the box but especially if you're only doing, like, a couple, like, uh, you'll, the whole idea is that the kid's only builds in one variant. What I did was not standard. Um, you're going to be using, like, only half of those sprues, and the parts are big enough that, like, you look at the instructions,
2: you can pretty quickly... You can identify what you're yeah. shooting for. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you're not alone. Like, I I don't build them anymore, but I I follow a few guys who do on Instagram, and the modular thing is what everyone does because everybody understands what a massive investment these things are and screw you i'm getting my money's worth yeah yeah right uh... so you can build one tank and you know use a lot of like rare earth magnets and stuff to be able to reconfigure things so you can use them in different
0: tabletop yeah basically what i was trying to do with this uh build was basically just base you know Best bang for my buck, so like armored personnel carrier with also the biggest gun that's mounted on a wheel, like a tracked vehicle in the in the Imperium. Like,
2: yeah, why not? Well, then there's there's no rules. There's no rules, especially no. if you're if you're not playing. Like anything yeah. goes. You can make it look as wacky as you want, and everyone's going to look at it and go, "Yeah, that makes perfect sense." Yep. Um, I am infuriated to see though that their mold quality hasn't improved at all. Like Games Workshop should be ashamed of
1: yeah how well, uh, like, chunky I can, some I can, of that is i can still see like seam lines from where i am sorry Dennis. oh yeah
0: like and i i mean partially that's my fault i haven't cleaned them up as best as i could so i will have to be like going in and doing that post cleanup sure but like
2: this is like 90s Tomia level yeah. injection molding quality and yeah. they're charging like that thing retails for
0: I mean, my, my uh, buddy who... Not,
2: not cheap.
0: My, my teacher got this for me for my birthday. I don't even want to know what he paid for it. Like, I hope he was able to somehow like seduce his way into a good deal at the hobby store, but yeah. I don't think he was.
1: Like, you know, um, <coughs> radiation addict on uh, Discord, uh, Riley? Yep. Mm-hmm. Boy? <laughs> um, yeah, he was looking at buying a Lehman Russ and like even the old, old first edition ones... They, they still go for like 160 bucks.
0: Oh, I mean, like my buddy, he actually, it's funny you mention that, he print, 3D printed a, lim, a Lehman rust tank, and he just gave it to me at work today, because like, he's printed so many of them, he doesn't actually have any space for them anymore. It's so, like, yeah, I just got, got this like $150 value for free. Like I, think Dude, I can
2: I can find better uses for his resin if he's looking yeah, for yeah. work. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's the thing, it's like 3D printing, I, I'm surprised it like, hasn't killed off Games Workshop stuff already.
2: Um, they try. They try. They, they are. They are like ravenous when it comes to brand protection, like Disney level um, lawsuits. Yeah. But good. Good luck. You can't stamp it out, and unless you're playing in a like Games Workshop sanctioned well, tournament, so many
0: of the games are run by Games Workshop entities. So like, yeah, it will never take off in the competitive field. But like, if you just no. like building really stupid looking tanks. You know what? Like my buddy, he actually like printed so many Warhammer models within the first week of getting his new 8K printer. It paid for itself, even when you factor right. in the cost of resin and all that. It, it paid for itself
2: because he was just cranking them out for people wanting them for well, he, for he casual print stuff.
0: Like this Le, Le rust tank, and I think it'll take him about five hours to print an entire tank.
2: Jesus, good. Lord!
0: Yeah, they, they're printers are getting good. I mean, those uh, fuel drums you can see on the back, those were 3D printed. Yeah.
2: They're actually really nice. Yeah. God damn it, don't make me spend money I don't have, Dennis.
0: Get the <laughs> Warhammer with me, man.
2: No. God, get, no. Get,
0: get a kill team set.
2: Get a kill team set. I, I tossed all my Warhammer stuff a bunch of years ago because I was like, no, I don't need this anymore. Jeez, Should have kept it.
0: I know Garrison's sitting on a ton of orcs. He doesn't know what he wants to do with them.
2: Oh, so this was, uh, we were supposed to have another special guest tonight, Uh, the ghost of uh, Cologne, our friend Val, um, who's the reason that there's a German flag on the MMP logo. Um, But he ran into some technical difficulties, so he couldn't join us, but he is working on a home-built balsa wood trebuchet, and I am absolutely overawed
1: by the engineering that uh, Val has put into this. Yeah, he he started building this for the artillery group build, fucking, when was that, like last year? year. But
2: yeah, he just got so busy with school and and what have you that uh, life. it ended up on the back burner, which we all sympathize with. But um, Val, if you're listening to this, that thing is absolutely a work of art, and we are all super stoked to uh, see this thing get to completion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It looks amazing. What you got for us, Callum? <clears throat> I am still working on my AMX thirteen seventy five with the SS eleven. So right now it is finally painted, and when I was painting it, I realized looking at photos the so these are launchers for the uh, the ATGMs. So the big these big uh, rounded areas are supposed to have a mesh plate on them,
2: mm-hmm. except
1: you know it's a hella humbral. 1970s kit. They don't have it, so they're they just came in the boxes, big open yep. hoops. Yep. Uh, so so what,
2: what what you got? Is that a band aid?
1: Yeah, I was I was chatting That's with uh, I was chatting with uh, Nick, you know, the scale armour, when I was doing right. it, and I was like, shit. Well, I'm painting it, and it really looks. It needs it. It really needs a mesh on it because it just looks stupid without it. I'm going, uh, what can I use? What can I use? Da, 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 da. Oh, hang on. I ran out to the kitchen, grabbed, grabbed the box of bandage, brought one out and stick it on. stuck it on, just went, yeah, this this will work. Hopefully it works. That, works. Uh, that looks good. Uh, now it's painted. It's kind of, I don't know. you got to see it in the right light to get the effect again, but it does look substantially better with it than without it. So.
2: I mean, the picture you've got posted there it looks it's translucent you can see through it it's yeah it's not sort of going out and buying a bunch of photo etched mesh and then trying to cut it to shape i think that's the best option you've got
1: yeah well it's already like the band-aid is already to the rough shape you know like i'm taking some uh, creative liberties on it but you know i'm gonna be the only one really seeing it but right yeah so there so i use some uh, ultra thin super glue once the uh, band aid stickers were stuck down, just around the edge, just to like properly hold them there, because it was, you can see there's barely any material holding them, so now they're properly down. So uh, when I was painting, I was ultra, ultra thin enamel paint over the uh, over the whole tank, so I did it over the uh, band aid mesh, and it's uh, like you got to look at it in the right light, but uh, even then, it still looks better with it than without it, so yeah, no. we're just going to go with it. Good on you. But oh, yeah, so this no. is, uh, so the, the paint solution, <laughs> yeah, the paint scheme, paint. the colour I found off uh, Prime Portal because the uh, the Swiss don't call them the AMX thirteen seventy five; they have a weird name. Of for course, it. they don't. Yeah, so they the Lichter Panzer fifty one or something like that. But I I spent forever trying to find what bloody colour they used. I couldn't find it at all. Like, and I, don't, I don't trust the bloody. Um, Well, because what everything else, like what the uh, box art and all that shows is like a very, very black green, like ultra dark. But then there's others that say it was just olive tan and then olive drab and then this what. So I just found an actual uh, one that was used in Swiss service and it might have faded to this green. I don't know, but I'm going to go with it. And it's actually quite a nice color. I I like the green, so I'm going to stick with it. Good times. Yeah. So,
2: and good for you for building a heller Hummel kit and not, you know, throwing it across the room.
1: Honestly, yeah, it did have some issues. It's not the worst. I've built worse. I mean, I've still got another Heller kit in my stash, so we'll see. Yeah. That's the, the torpedo boot. Torpedo boat, yeah. Mm. We'll see how that one goes. But... Yeah, finally, uh, finally starting to enjoy this kit. Yeah, you know it's like you know when you got a kit and you haven't got any paint on it or anything, so it's just like multiple different colors of like photo etch or like putty, and it just looks like a complete mess. And then you put the your first coat of primer on it, and you're just like, oh yeah, that, now you kind of see it. Yeah. Oh, you mean
2: every kit I've built in the last year?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you finally unify the whole thing uh, with a base coat, and it's like, okay, now I see it as. A tank, not just this blob of color of different. Mess. I'm now less,
2: I'm less likely to cry.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but of course, this is going to be on hold for the next few weeks. So, yeah, yeah, rub it in. Oh, sorry, my my paid holiday to Europe. Yeah, um, this little
2: ah. bastard. So, <laughs> okay, oh. he's gonna get sick. Yeah. yeah. I, I,
1: Anyway, I'll explain all of that at the end of the uh, episode. Wait, we usually get Garrison to do this, but he's not here because right. he's with his parents. The,
0: well, I mean, the people know already. Normandy group build, June 6, 2023 to August 30, 2023. you got about, you know, a little over a month left. Uh, it is our competitive group build we are running. If you want, you can join our Discord, submit photos of your works in progress, and then your finished product, and there are prizes that you'll be eligible to possibly win. We are also running the Horizon Island Defense Force group build. This is just a non-competitive like group build for fun. Uh, definitely check out our Horizon Island Defense Force episode if you are not aware of the lore already. And uh, yeah, join in. Show us what crazy stuff your imagination can produce.
2: Yeah, speaking of Warhammer,
1: <laughs> yeah, speaking
0: of Warhammer, I, I, I would I would be lying if I said I wasn't tempted to make an HIDF faction.
1: <laughs> it's not a bad idea. So. Uh, This podcast is sponsored by Scale Colors and SC3D, so if you are looking for some airbrushable paint straight from the bottle, uh, non-toxic and acrylic, then log on to scalecolors.com. He has all the colors you could possibly need, especially if you're going for naval. Uh, Jeff here has a big range of naval colors, and they're all pretty correct to what they should be, so they are some really good paints. And if you are building a tank and you are looking for some tracks, say your kit comes with rubber band and they're horrendous, like ninety percent of the ones I buy. But that's my own fault. You can go onto his SC three D um, department where he has three D resin, three D resin printed tracks. They are high detail, uh, completely workable, and they look amazing. So, if you are looking for any paint, airbrushable or not, and for three D tracks go on to scalecolors.com. This is by Jeff Hearn. He works by himself. So give him a little shout out. Uh, Tell him, if you order anything from him, tell him you you heard it from us. You know, just helps us both out. Yeah. God, I suck at advertisements.
0: And of course, as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters, Paul Gallagher and Lord Floki. If you want to help keep the lights on here at the Micro Machines Podcast, head on to the Patreon link in the description of this video. Shoot us a couple bucks each month, get access to some exclusive content like special episodes and blooper reels. And uh, yeah, help help us out. Well,
1: this wasn't the blooper reel. (laughs) No, 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 yeah. (laughs) <laughs> the stuff on Patreon, you think we make some bad jokes uh, on the uh, oh, regular episode? stuff um, that we
0: would get banned off of YouTube for.
1: The the the, the stuff on Patreon is uh, quite different. Um, yeah, it's the stuff Dear I have God. to remove most of it from Garrison. Um, funnily enough, oh, shocking. So I'm yeah. just gonna. So we'll just say an announcement. Uh, this will be. It's going to be a while before our next episode. About three weeks or so, mainly because I'm going to be away touring Europe. For three weeks,
2: I'm can't wait to bring Europe sick. for three
0: weeks. Can't explore ah. Europe if you're sick.
1: Well, I'll say Europe. I'm going to go to the middle of nowhere, northeast Italy, and then I'm going to Glasgow and London. All places I've already been to. But
2: yep, that's better than what I'm going to do for the next three weeks. So you're going to be you no know, suck an egg. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, so it might be. Uh, if you're wondering why it's a bit of a bit of a while before our next episode although not that we have a consistent schedule at all but yeah that's going to be the reason
2: and for those of you that won't notice we'll see you next time
1: yeah dennis
0: well if you've gotten to this point thank you so much for sticking with us you've been watching and listening to the Micro Machines podcast we will return in the near future
1: eventually maybe
0: one day God willing, and
1: hopefully with the the ghost,
0: the go the ghost might return. Stay tuned. All yeah, right, well, take care, everyone. Well, see ya. Bye.